Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Thursday, April 8th. We begin with a conversation with Alberta NDP leader Rachel Notley. We get details on a new bill created by the NDP, which is aimed at protecting the eastern slopes of the Rockies from coal mining. Next, we look at a unique program which taps into the tech knowledge of young Albertans to help seniors in our province navigate the digital world. We get details from Larry Matheson, CEO of the Kirby Centre. Have you considered taking on a forever friend in your home? Have you looked into the financial commitment that comes with having a pet? We break down the numbers with a veterinarian. And finally, if you've pared down during the pandemic, you may now be wondering what to do with all that stuff that you don't need anymore. Well, help is on the way. We speak with garage sale guru Robin Braley on how to have the most successful garage sale on the block. Coal mining on the eastern slopes of the Rockies is certainly a very hot topic in Alberta right now. And the opposition NDP has introduced a new bill to protect the Rocky Mountains and its watersheds. Joining us now to discuss the proposed legislation is Alberta NDP leader and the leader of the official opposition, Rachel Notley. Good morning, Ms. Notley. Thank you so much for joining us. Good morning. It's a pleasure to be here. Appreciate your time. It's an important topic to all of us for various reasons, obviously. Can you break down a little bit about this legislation that you and your party is proposing? What what does this bill specifically want to put into place? You bet. Um, So basically what it does is it it puts an immediate stop to all development uh, uh, of coal in the Rocky Mountains. Uh, And then it goes ahead with respect to categories one and two, and those are the the very special sensitive areas that were first protected by Premier Lougheed back in 1976. And it says those will be protected in perpetuity forever. And then it says the other two areas will be protected until we can get uh, a proper, uh, fully developed, Developed, uh, land use plan in place that takes into account uh, the cumulative effects and the need, you know, the latest science and, and the need for um, all Albertans who rely on uh, the, those watersheds uh, to be able to have their water needs um, addressed uh, both in terms of their personal use as well as economic use. And, uh, and then, of course, protecting biodiversity and, and uh, other elements of uh, environmental protection. So, that's what it would do. It needs to be in place because right now, as this government carries on with its fake consultation process, and it really truly is quite fake, uh, development is continuing. And so they're basically using their, their fake consultation to rag the puck while continuing uh, to allow um, uh, coal companies to, to build roads and drill and, and look for more coal in, in some of the most sensitive areas of our Rocky Mountains. And we know that Albertans have spoken out uh, so passionately about this. There is no question where the people of Alberta are on this issue. So it's, we're hoping this government will vote along with us on this bill. You mentioned, uh, Ms. Notley, the, the fake consultation th- uh, from UCP. I'm wondering, uh, were constituents in the area and residents uh, nearby areas as well and users of the area consulted uh, by the NDP before you put this together? We sure did. Uh, we've uh, spoken to uh, members of the uh, various different land use groups and advocacy groups. We've spoken with uh, Indigenous people. We've spoken with environmentalists. Uh, so we have actually engaged in uh, quite a bit of consultation. We've also heard 
from like literally over 100,000 Albertans um, on this issue. I mean, there there is a, a very clear position that has been taken by Albertans, many of whom, of course, are, are in that area. We've had two or three town halls, both specifically in southern Alberta, but also then in, in Calgary. And bear in mind, I mean, the, these watersheds actually supply Edmonton, Red Deer, Calgary, and then, of course, um, the areas we traditionally think about uh, in terms of, uh, you know, the Lethbridge area. So there there are huge consequences. We've heard from lots of folks. And the other thing about the bill, though, is that uh, outside of Category 1 and 2, it builds in a very meaningful consultation process going forward. And that's important because we haven't had that yet. Is there coal mining underway right now, this moment? There is uh, right now, uh, mostly in uh, Category 3 and 4 areas, uh, in more of the, the Hinton Grand Cache areas. Um, and this bill wouldn't impact uh, mines that are currently operational. Uh, so this would only be about uh, the, you know, the plan going forward. The fact is, is that there's been very limited development. Uh, I mean, there's been a lot of exploration, but, but limited mining over the many years because of the Lougheed Coal Policy in 1976. But when uh, the, the UCP got elected, they had a lot of meetings behind closed doors, and there's been a, a massive increase in uh, lease applications and, and permits being processed. So this is about putting a stop to that, and and then, uh, as I say, protecting the, the categories one and two, and putting a meaningful consultation process where everybody's at the table, and we're talking about the, the best science uh, before we go any further. Ms. Notley, we got a text in here, a question from a listener. It says, please ask uh, Ms. Notley to name the specific location where she would find mining for the coal acceptable, or is just uh, this just a political NIMBY? Um, no, you know, I think really what, as we know, there's like category one and two, and I would say no, not there. Category threes and fours, as I say, there is already mining going on uh, outside of Hinton and Grand Cash. Um, but the, the, the point of it is, is that what we need to be doing is looking at, it's not about nimbiness, uh, because it's not about people's backyards. It's about the whole watershed that relies on the Rockies. Unlike BC, which has, you know, mountain uh, you know, mountain range after mountain range after mountain range and nothing but water. Alberta has one watershed and, and, and two thirds of the province is fed by that watershed. And so we have a responsibility to take very good care of it. And we know, for instance, that, that in BC, there's a, a multi-million dollar lawsuit going on against uh, a coal company that actually poisoned the whole watershed, uh, uh, from one range and, and, or at least that's the allegation. And so we can't afford to do that because we only have one watershed. Mm-hmm. So it's about everything from the mountains all the way through to, to Lethbridge through to, to, to Saskatchewan because all of us rely on the water, uh, that 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 feeds those areas. So what is the process now? What happens next? And have you had any response at all from the UCP? So unfortunately, so it's a private member's bill. Um, Previously, before the uh, UCP was in power, uh, all private member's bills would be debated. Uh, When we were in government, we actually voted in favor of a couple of private member's bills that the opposition put forward. Unfortunately, under Jason Kenney, uh, uh, they changed the process. So all these uh, bills now go to committees, and not a single opposition member's bill has actually been debated in the legislature. Mm. Um, so it's a very undemocratic process. However, it will go to this private member's committee, uh, 
And I'm calling on the UCP members who are there. Uh, I mean, we clearly see that they've, they've grown a voice in the last 24, 48 hours on other issues. So on this one, because we know we have heard from hundreds of thousands of Albertans on this issue, uh, many of whom are UCP constituents, they should stand up in that committee and vote for the bill to go forward so that it is actually fully debated in the legislature. Um, and then, uh, again, uh, we would call on them to, to, if they don't like every element of it, amend it. But find a way to give those assurances to Albertans because what's in place right now provides no assurance. So thus far, we haven't heard anything significant from them. Uh, we hope they'll reconsider. Thank you so much for your time this morning, Ms. Nolly. We appreciate it. Okay, you take care. Thank you. All right, that is Alberta NDP leader Rachel Notley. 642, and throughout the pandemic, there have obviously been concerns about keeping seniors happy, healthy, and certainly connected to their communities. Well, to talk a little bit about a great program, Larry Matheson is joining us, CEO of the Kirby Centre here in Calgary with an update on cyber seniors. Good morning, Larry. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining us. Tell us about this program. Well, I'm, I'm thrilled to tell you about it. Uh, Cyber Seniors is actually an organization based in Toronto, and uh, we we partnered with them to bring this service to seniors in, in Alberta. And it actually started as a high school project in, in 2009, and it became uh, an award-winning documentary, and it's a film that's been seen in 40 countries and 500 communities worldwide. But the whole notion is pairing uh, young, uh, young adults and youth volunteers uh, who might be tech-savvy to help seniors access the Internet and how, how to use devices. Interesting, because it's been around since 2009, but I would think that the pandemic highlighted the need for something mm-hmm. like this, seeing as uh, the, the number one way to, to not go out in the public is to do things online, whether it's doctor's visits or catching up with family. Well, exactly. And, and last March, our, our whole business model turned on its head because most of what we would do to reduce isolation and help connect seniors to others was in our building. And last March, we couldn't do that anymore. And so we had to turn to, to Zoom and to iPads and other technologies to help seniors. But the massive challenge was assertive seniors at that time didn't even use the Internet. And so a program like this um, helps us to, uh, I mean, you don't have to be tech savvy. If you're a senior or if you know a senior, you can actually call our 1-800-LINE through this program, and one of our volunteer techs will help walk you through even how to turn on your laptop, if that's, if that's where, where you're at. Geez, do I have to be a senior to use that? Because sometimes I'm in that position too. Uh, Larry, I'm curious as to you know who these these tech helpers are. You know, what are the age ranges, and and what kind of people are you are you experiencing taking on that role? Well, you, you can actually you can actually even watch the documentary. It's on the Apple Store or uh, a YouTube. Uh, but it started as high school volunteers. Okay. Now, a number of years later, the, the volunteers range from high school students to university students and even young, young professionals. And, uh, I mean, there's a number of ways people can engage with us as well. I mean, if you're a senior, you can call the line or you can, if you have the ability to go on our website, there's information there. But if you want to get involved and you're a little bit tech savvy yourself, uh, you can actually go to our website and sign up as one of our, our Calgary or our 
our Alberta volunteers to help seniors. What has re- reaction been, Larry? Is this something that they, uh, you know, continues, or does it get to a point where the seniors uh, adapt and adopt the technology enough to, to to go it on their own? Well, you know, it's it's kind of uh, it's kind of funny. I'll I'll never forget the story. Our our uh, manager of Ed and Rec, you know, last March, you know, we had to end all our fitness classes and our our peer support groups and so on, and and Kari said, hey what if we tried seated yoga on Zoom? And so we tried it, you know, and the first time we tried it, it was like, you know, you had four seniors who signed in, they didn't turn their mics. You spent hours teaching them how to use Zoom so they could be part of this class. And uh, everybody was quiet in the background participating. Well, a couple of weeks later, you had 85 people signing into these courses, cameras are on, they're chatting away to each other. And I mean, it's it's almost life changing because it, it allows to create that community and that feeling of community even when you can't get together. Yeah, I love that, and you know, I, I like to think that maybe some relationships have formed too. You know, it's not just the seniors asking for some tech help, but you know, maybe just and and the young people too, not have you know have grandparents in your life. So to be able to connect with a senior, I would think this is just win win for everybody. It's it's so powerful, and and so many of us, you know, this year we spent uh, Christmas over Zoom with our grandchildren, and uh, so so many of us can relate to, you know, the only the ideal way to connect with family is through FaceTime and and Zoom and so on, and being able to bring that to seniors so they can stay connected to family and to and to friends is, is very powerful. Wow, an incredible program! Thank you for sharing the mm-hmm. details with us, Larry. We appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks, you guys. Thank you. That is Larry Matheson, CEO of the Kirby Center. You can find more online at kirbycenter.com. 619 Mornings with Sue and Andy. Wondering about the cost of owning a dog in 2021? Well, whether you're one of the many who've adopted a pandemic pet, so to speak, or you're planning on bringing home your forever pet, it's helpful to know how much does a dog cost. Dr. Rebecca Greenstein, chief veterinarian, joins us now to give us an idea of just how much people are spending on their new family members. Good morning to you, Dr. Greenstein. Good morning. Is this a case that you think about the fun times you'll have with your new pet, the walks, watching your pet grow with your family, but not understanding the, the fiscal responsibility? Uh, people maybe get caught up in the emotion? It's a little bit of both. Uh, I think people consistently seem to underestimate the cost of ownership because they really do see the sunny side, which is what attracts us to pets. But we also have to remember that the unexpected expenses and the range of expenses, that's where we can sometimes have a shortfall. Yeah, shortfall, absolutely. And particularly when you, you know, you get the dog dishes and you get the, uh, you know, bag of food, you're good to go. But the veterinary cost is uh, something you're very familiar with. Yeah. Uh, I think some people think, well, if my dog's fine, they don't have to see the vet, but they're not a lot different than us, right? When it comes to annual checkups, hmm. right? Absolutely. And similar to taking a baby to the pediatrician, the first year of life is crucial and you're going to be seeing your vet a lot. And that's for the stuff that you can account for. What if someone uh, swallows a sock or you jump, someone jumps off a couch and breaks a leg? Those expenses and the unexpected nature, that's what, um, that's what pet parents can find very challenging. Mm-hmm. You have a huge three to $5,000 bill that you really weren't expecting. So is pet insurance, in your view, doctor, a good idea? I mean, I know something you can get for different various animals. Is it, is it worthwhile doing something like that? 
It's a great question. It really depends on the plan involved. I always counsel owners to be quite educated because you don't want to be in a crisis when you find out that, oh, by the way, you have a $1,000 maximum in a, in a certain category or there are exclusions for pre-existing conditions. So always find out kind of what does your plan cover, but most importantly, what might it not cover? So, yeah, so I guess there are, I remember years ago when I had a dog, there were a handful. Now it seems like there are many, many options. So like like anything, it's a research thing, isn't it? And maybe asking friends and maybe talking to your vet. Oh, absolutely. I do think that more recently, all of our staff would be leaning towards recommending pet insurance because you want to be prepared in case of a worst case scenario. The owners who are the calmest in an emergency are the ones who feel financially prepared and that way they can be emotionally prepared what are some of the pros and cons of of getting a pet during a time like this with a pandemic i mean you know i'm assuming that we can spend more time with them to help train them would be a good thing but are are you seeing a lot of people kind of rushing into this decision oh for sure for sure (laughs) i think this pandemic it's so unprecedented the entire world knows that but Nothing beats a pet for unconditional positive regard. Um, the benefits to your mental and physical well-being can't be understated. The real question is, what's going to happen uh, months from now when hopefully everything goes back to, quote, normal or something like that? Uh, people who are working from home 24-7, what are they going to do uh, when they have to go back to an office? And that's where um, dog walking pet sitting apps like Rover can be quite helpful, but that's something you really want to account for ahead of time. Let's say, you know, when it comes to, to choosing a vet, if you, if you have a pet, there's some of these dogs, I have a friend whose dog just passed away at 19, which is oh which an incredible lifespan. Wow. You can imagine how that wow. ripped the family, a real family. Oh, member, yeah. Right? Um, you get this puppy, how do you choose a vet? Because you want to have a good relationship. You don't want to be moving vet to vet because you want this veterinarian to know your pet and to know you. Uh, how do you find one? Uh, I guess wherever you live. Uh, honestly, I would say word of mouth. Uh, it, reviews can be challenging because it really depends on who's writing them. But all of our client base really was generated, it, it sounds strange, through word of mouth. People used to just sort of go to whoever was at the corner, right? They choose based on convenience. But people are so connected to their pets these days that in order to really gel with your vet, there has to be a really great interpersonal connection and someone who also feels you feel that fundamentally cares about your prized pet. Mm-hmm. Part of your family, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks so much for your time this morning. Great, uh, great tips. Love it. Appreciate your time. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. That's Dr. Rebecca Greenstein, who is the chief veterinarian and veterinary hospital owner. 850 on mornings with Sue and Andy. And through the pandemic, you've cleared out the house, got rid of things you don't need. But now what? Maybe it's time to think about a garage sale. Joining us now is Robin Braley, who's a brand specialist, writer and speaker who wrote the blog post. You, too, can be a garage sale guru. Good morning to you, Robin. Good morning, Andy and Sue. It's great to be on the show. Great to have you on and super timely. So I'm wondering, and I and I love frequenting uh, garage sales. I put more than a couple on myself, but I love going. So I'm wondering. I know is, you do. <laughs> I can't get enough. You know me. Uh, is there more to a garage sale than just putting stuff on the driveway and waiting for people to show up? We want to have success. So if you can set us up for that. Absolutely. You need to organize it, first of all. Organize all your treasures. Now, I call them treasures. Your family will call it junk Junk. with that kind of cold (laughs) tone to their voice. But you want to organize it into uh, uh, general themes, tech gadgets, toys, tools, clothes, books, automotive gear, 
kitchen items, musical instruments, camping and sports gear. So when people come to your sale, they'll say, do you have any hockey equipment? And you can say, yes, over there with the sports equipment under the tree. Brilliant. Okay, so I have a question for you from my own experience. I have done garage sales where I didn't price anything. I just said, make me an offer, and it was kind of a yay or nay. So is that a good idea, or is it better to have a price tag on everything? It's better to have a price tag on everything. You'll actually make more money. Mm. And what I suggest is that you use round numbers, $1, $5, $50, rather than $1.45 or $10.85. Eliminate the need for mountains of change. Also, have lots of chains on hand. Uh, I suggest buying easy-to-apply stickers for the small stuff. If you've got larger items like furniture or gym equipment, use larger pieces of paper, larger signs so it's easy to see. Big and bold does it. You got to be prepared also. This is one of my biggest pet peeves. You got to be prepared to wheel and deal. Do you want to get rid of your stuff or do you want to make a penny? So would you, would you suggest if there's something of value to maybe try to sell it online and the garage sales should be used to, to try to get rid of things? Well, absolutely. You can use uh, like a strategy leading up to uh, your sale. Try selling it on uh, online. And if you don't sell it, that uh, tells you that maybe other people don't value it as much as you do, but it'll also signal what you should price it at. I make sure that my best friend is there because she will sell my stuff without any attachment to it. Whereas I want you know, $100 for everything. She'll be like, give me two bucks and we're good kind of thing. So I suggest that that's a good help to have along with you. I'm curious from you, Robin, what's the best time to start a garage sale? Is noon okay if I roll out of bed later? later? Oh, absolutely not. Oh, Sue, Sue, you must be ready to go at 8 o'clock. 8? Now, I suggest you get up about 5.30 and go and put your uh, signs around the area so that they're ready to go. And I've got information about that on my blog post. But uh, you will find uh, that uh, uh, new and used store owners will drop by with their trucks. Uh, to see if you've got anything that uh, they might be interested in about 8 or 8.30. But people will be there bright and early. Mm. And so you need to be organized. Great idea to have a uh, a team. Um, don't call them staff. They tend to get offish <laughs> if you call them staff. But have a team uh, because if you have the crowd that you uh, expect to have, you're going to need uh, people to help you manage the wholesale we got to wrap things up for time, Robin, but also you don't want to forget the float because people are going to want change, too. Mm-hmm. You do want to have a float. Uh, what I suggest is get, a, get an old tackle box or uh, muffin tins yeah. or, uh, you know, something like that. Uh, put your uh, your t- your merchandising table at yeah. the back of the sale. Don't put it at the front. No. Put it at the back of your sale and uh, have somebody with it at all times. Good, good point. Good point. We'll be safe as well. Thank you so much for the great tips, Robin. We appreciate it. Okay, and you can find more at branditwithrobin.com. And that's Robin with a Y. Thank you. That is uh, Robin Braley, brand specialist, writer, and speaker.